If you've ever been through the process of buying a house, you probably remember that there is quite the variety of experiences when you walk into somebody else's home. Like there are, like some homes you walk into and you don't know quite how to handle yourself because you, you step into their home and everyone's still in the house. And so you have to figure out like how do we talk about what we don't like about their home when we're walking around and looking at it. Or some houses you open the door and you immediately know like we're out of there. We are not even looking at this house And then there are other homes like where like everything looks good and then you walk into the basement and you're like, what is going on down here? Like there's something that you find or you discover. And and, and, in buying and selling houses, obviously people make their entire life, their livelihoods out of this. And because of that, there's all kinds of research that goes into this. And there's actually a practice that many of you are maybe even familiar with called staging. When, When you stage a house, basically the idea is that you are maximizing the appeal of the house. And so you want the house to look lived in, but not too lived in. So, like, you want to put some throw pillows on the couches, and you want art on the wall, but you don't want your kids' art on the wall, and you don't want their toys out. So, like, it's kind of this fine balance where you want it to look like it could be somebody living there, but not somebody actually living there. And so all this happens, and and studies have actually shown that 83% of real estate agents say that staging makes a difference in a buyer seeing that house as a potential home. Which means just putting some throw pillows on the house and putting toys away and packing them all up makes a thousands of dollar difference in the perceived value of a house. And so because of this, people are trying to figure out how do we make a home look like a home while not getting messy. And the reason this works and the reason this is so important in real estate is because people aren't looking for the building. When people go shopping for a house, they're not looking for the four walls and the foundation. Maybe there's a couple of you who that's the only important thing. But most people, when they look for a house, they're looking for a home. They're looking for the life that comes attached to that home. They're looking for the memories they're going to create. And they're looking for what's going to happen when they're playing outside. They are looking to envision themselves and their family in that particular space. Now today, as we move from 2020 into 2021, we are spending last week and this week talking about this idea of making home. And the idea is that we want to talk about what it means to build a home with Jesus. Jesus says in John 15, abide in me and I in you. And that word abide, um, it often gets translated remain in me and I in you. It essentially means to make home. Jesus is saying, make a home in me, build a life in me and I will make a home in you. And so what Jesus wants for us is us to build our life, our friendship, our relationship around simply being with Jesus. And what he wants from us, he doesn't want us to stage our home to make it appear to be in a friendship and a life living with Jesus. No, he wants us actually to build our home and our life and our rhythms around a relationship with him. And so my question as we begin and as we think about this new year is what does our hearts look like? If our hearts are a home for Christ, what kind of home is he living in? When you look at your house, maybe there when you look at your home, Maybe there are some places in your heart, maybe your heart needs a renovation. Maybe there are some areas of your heart that maybe that's not the place that we want for a life with Jesus. Or maybe you look in your heart and there are some corners in your heart of dark places where there is sin and cobwebs are growing, some places in the corners that need to be cleaned out. 
Or maybe you look deep in your heart and you find, all right, there's some lies that I've been believing about myself, some things that have been building up in there, and it just needs to go out with the trash. Maybe some areas of your own heart where, where you look and you see, all right, I've staged some things in a way so people perceive me in a certain way, but in reality, the life, the rhythms, my relationship with God, maybe it needs some work. And so I want us to do that kind of work today, to look at our hearts and ask, what are the things in our life, in our hearts, that should change? In the business world, there is an axiom that suggests that your system or your business is perfectly designed to get the results it's getting. Now, this is an axiom that holds true in the business world. It often holds true in ministry world, just in your personal life. And the idea is that your life, your system, your business is perfectly designed to get the results you are getting. And so in your business, if you're not hitting the bottom line, or maybe if the employees aren't working very well, or maybe the boss is a jerk, like any of those things, if you don't change anything you're going to continue to get the results you're getting. And so maybe you're not meeting the bottom line and you decide, you know, marketing's not working, but if you don't change the marketing strategy, things are not going to just miraculously change. And so the idea, when we think about our life as followers of Jesus, I would suggest the same thing often holds true, that when you look at your life and what you're experiencing, if you don't change anything, you can expect that nothing will really change. And while there are certain factors outside of our realm of control that impact us, when it comes to the system of our life, there are habits and there are intentional steps that we can take or not take that impact the kind of life that you and I experience. And so with that mindset, I want to go to Galatians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul writes this letters to early followers of Jesus, and he writes in order to talk about some of the fruit, some of the results that he says are the result of a life of friendship, of abiding with Jesus. And so last week we talked about abiding with Jesus by looking at John 15 and Jesus' command to remain in Jesus, to be with Jesus. Today, we're looking at the result of being with Jesus in order to argue backwards for the same goal, to simply encourage us to remain in Jesus, to be with Jesus. And so in Galatians chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 16, and we'll spend some time talking along the way. It says this, So I say, live by the Spirit, And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. All right, so let me pause there for a second. Paul is suggesting to us that there is this tension, that there is the way of our human nature. By default, our hearts crave sin. Our hearts look out for ourselves and no one else. Our heart default, what's in it for me? What makes me happy? Or this is often why relationships end so poorly is because people say, once it doesn't make me happy, I'm out. And so Paul says, there's something in us, this tendency called sin this, that is a part of our nature, that there is a pull one way. And he says, I desire for you something different, something he calls life in the spirit. That when God is at work, God is shaping and molding your heart so that your desires aren't just your own desires, but Paul's hope and his desire is that it would align with the heart and the desires of God. And so Paul talks about this tension, this reality, this pull towards sin, and then what he calls this way of the Spirit. And he says in the way of the Spirit, there is no law. In other words, God doesn't even have to say do this in order for us to do this because our heart begins to actually crave the things that are of God. He continues then in verse 19 and describes the sinful nature and says this, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. 
Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the reason Paul does this is not so we get to the point that we can point out to people why they shouldn't inherit the kingdom of God. That's not his goal. This is not a checklist for you to find somebody else's problem. This is actually what Paul wants to do, is Paul wants to help you diagnose your own life and realize that left to your own desires, you end up on this list. That this is a pretty all-encompassing kind of list. And so Paul is saying our hearts will go, gravitate towards sin, and he'll say you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. Because what do we know about sin? When you turn to sin, eventually sin becomes your master. And being a part of the kingdom of God means Christ is king. And so Paul is saying if you let something else become king, you're going to be a part of that kingdom, and you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You are not going to ha- receive what God actually desires and wants for you. And so Paul will continue in order to say, all right, God, though, wants to do something to rescue you. So if we're a slave of one kingdom, if you're in an Egypt of sorts, what God has in store is God will bring you into the wilderness. The wilderness often in the scriptures is even translated as the quiet place where you experience the presence of God. And God does that so then he can show you what he's leading you into to what Paul then describes as the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. He says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, those sinful desires which can enslave us, Paul says, when we belong to Christ, that, that, that sin has been crucified with Christ. And when Christ is raised, so are you. You are raised as a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so he says, now let us live by that spirit. Let us walk in step with that spirit as followers of Jesus. And so then the question as we read that passage might be, well, how, how are we doing on that? Right? If the fruit of the Spirit, a fruit of life with Jesus, of the result of just being with Jesus is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, like, how are we doing? I, I have a feeling that for many of us, we can look at that list and say, all right, there are some things that I need to work on, some things that need to change, right? Because if our lives are a system perfectly designed to get the results we're getting, and we look at our life and we're not experiencing the fruit that Paul says is the fruit of the Spirit, then maybe something should change. Now, a couple of reminders as we talk about this, because this is very much connected to Jesus' teaching in John 15 when Jesus says, remain in me and I in you, and the tree will bear good fruit. And so a reminder, the fruit isn't a result of trying harder and doing more. It's a result of Jesus. The growth that happens, the fruit that gets produced, is because you are being with Jesus and receiving the gifts and the work of Jesus through his death and resurrection and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not like you look at the list and say, all right, I'm going to work on love this year or joy this year, and I'm just going to really buckle down and get it. No, what Paul is after is he wants to give a diagnosis So you see where the fruit is lacking, so then you go to the places that Jesus tells you to go to, to spend time with Jesus and receive from Jesus what he wants to do in you. 
The other reminder is that for some of us, we don't really need help knowing where we sin and where we fail. Now, most of us need that in some areas, but some of us, once we get to that place, is we'll get stuck there. And so it's a difference between guilt and despair. God wants us to recognize our sin and to experience guilt and turn to Jesus. God doesn't want us to despair. God doesn't want us to be stuck in that place and say, I am just a bad tree. I can't produce this kind of fruit. Like, who am I? Jesus wants us to get to that for a moment, but not to despair, but then to turn to Jesus. Checking for fruit shouldn't lead you to despair. It should lead you to Jesus. It's a diagnosis. And so if we think it's a death sentence, then we look at that and we say, like, who am I? What am I going to do? But Jesus wants to give us a diagnosis so then we can have the remedy, so that we can turn to Jesus, the one who forgives every sin, the one who sets us free. And so then Paul says this, this abiding in Jesus, this being with Jesus, it produces fruit, love, and joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I think it'll be helpful a little bit to talk through these different, the, these, these different aspects of the fruit that, that Paul describes, and, and, and not so much as a checklist, but this is simply, Paul says, this is what happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the result of being with Jesus. And so love is this idea, right? It's serving somebody else's needs above your own. It's putting someone else first. It's not looking out for your benefit first. Are you growing in your love for others? Are you growing in your capacity to not give up on another person? Jesus even says to love your enemies. Joy means delighting in God, not because of the gifts that he gives, but because of God himself. And so are you looking to God and in God finding joy despite the circumstances of life, despite the challenges? Peace is where we find our trust in God. Are you at peace with God as the one who is ultimately in control? Most of us in our life, we often are looking for control, but the reality is that we are, are in control of much less than we think we actually are. And so when it comes to the things that are often outside your circle of control, are you willing to trust God with that? Are you growing in your trust of God with your kids, your finances, your future, your health? Are you becoming less worried or more? Patience is the ability to wait for la until later for what you desire right now. Sometimes that even happens through hardships and difficulties. Are you growing in your ability to wait? To wait without becoming bitter. Kindness and goodness. Kindness and goodness both point to this, this fruit that is, has integrity. It's, it's virtue. It's being the kind of person that will do the same thing in private that you will in public. That who you are when people are looking is the same as who you are when no one is looking. Are you growing in your kindness in your honesty, in the way that you treat other people. Faithfulness and gentleness are another incredible pair. Faithfulness is this willingness to stick by someone, this commitment to be fearless and courageously reliable. Gentleness is a humility that can gently correct and be present. And so together what you have is you have somebody who is courageously willing to be assertive and stick with you and also gently correct you? And then are you growing in self-control? Perhaps this one even best sums up all of these. Self-control is being able to say no to the acts of the sinful flesh that Paul describes. 
And in a world that craves freedom, that so many of us are bent on, well, I don't want anyone else to tell me what to do. I don't want anybody else to tell me what's right or wrong. I don't want anybody to have any business to do with my sexuality or my way of thinking about morality. I don't want anybody else to tell me what, what I should, how I should live. Paul says to actually grow in the fruit of the Spirit is not that somebody else doesn't tell you what to do, but that you are actually willing to submit to the one who actually knows best for you. And so it's not about a lack of authority. It's about actually finding a proper authority, authority that can actually lead you in a way that says no to some things that aren't actually best for you. And so Paul says this actually leads to more freedom, not less. It leads to more joy and more peace, not less. Now, here's the cool thing with this, with this list of fruits. It's not really meant to be a checklist of sorts. It's not, in fact, it's actually not even a list of nine different fruits. The language that Paul uses in Galatians chapter 5, he says the fruit of the Spirit is, the fruit, in other words, singular, is. This is actually one fruit, not nine. And so what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he wants us to realize that this picture of the fruit is not a list of I have this one but not that one. Instead, he wants us to say that all of this is the result of being with Jesus. I was actually asking my son to try to help get a better picture of what, what kind of fruit could look like this. And I asked him, like, is there a diamond apple in Minecraft? Because like, I feel like that's like the best image I could have in my mind. He said there's a golden apple there's not actually a diamond apple, he said, at least not in the vanilla version. And I said, well, I wish there would be like just an enchanted diamond, a diamond apple. Like that would be the perfect picture of this. And he said, it's not there. I said, I'm using it anyways. And so what I think Paul is after is the best picture of the fruit of the Spirit is an enchanted diamond Minecraft apple. And the reason that I think this is a good picture is because it's one fruit. But the, how does a diamond work? A diamond is, is one diamond, but every angle that you look at it, you see something different. That is what Paul is describing in the fruit of the Spirit. The result of the life of following Jesus and abiding in Jesus is one fruit that when you look at it from one angle, you see peace. And then you look from another angle and you see joy. And then you look over here and you see the patience. And then you look from another angle and you see the kindness. And so as the Christian who is growing in the fruit interacts and lives their life, we can witness the work of God carving and crafting this incredible diamond. And so he chips away through maybe some circumstances of life, or maybe he forms the diamond through some, some of the teaching or some of the community that you're in. And in all of that, he produces all together this diamond fruit that Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. Now, let's circle back to that business axiom, right? If your life is perfectly designed to get the results you're getting, are you getting that diamond? Like, are you getting what you want? What Paul says is the result of following Jesus. Now, maybe some of you are. Like, maybe some of you are like, we're, we're nailing it. We're good. Like, good for, the, the, for you. Um, for the rest of us, though, I think the question that should raise is then what needs to change? Because Paul, Paul doesn't say, like, for some of you this will happen. He says this is what will happen. And so what should change if our lives are not producing the kind of fruit we want to see? See, whether or not you're intentional about it, your life is perfectly designed to produce some kind of fruit. 
That unintentionally, there will be rhythms of life and things you hear and things you read and experiences you have and relationships that all together will create a system of sorts that will produce some kind of fruit. And so the question is, are we going to be intentional about that or unintentional? And so a way that this could look unintentionally, if we're just letting life happen and form whatever fruit that it forms, this is what it could look like. You have these three things working together, stories, relationships, habits, that all happen in the context of an environment. Now, that environment could change. That could be your home, just the relationships that you have in your house. The environment could be COVID-19, the way our world feels in this present moment. It could be the United States of America. It could be evangelicalism. It could be all kinds of things that shape our experiences and circumstances. And then surrounding that, these stories, relationships, habits become the way we unintentionally abide. It becomes the things that we set, sit with, and when we are unintentional, those things actually shape us and form us. There's no version of life where you don't become a disciple of something. And so unintentionally what happens is we have stories that shape us. The stories we believe would be when you read something, when you read something on social media, you read a news article, you watch movies, or you have conversations with your friends, your families, your neighbor. All of these stories, whether you are in, intentional about it or not, they have some impact over you. That as you, as you read, as you listen, as you consume these things, they aren't neutral things. They all shape you. And so all of them begin to form us, to form the way we think about good and evil, the way we think about religion, the way we think about Christ. It, it shapes and becomes the frame through which we view the world. So the question is, do we just let that happen with whichever happens to pop up on our phone, or do we get intentional and decide what are the things we're going to hear and listen to? Unintentionally, relationships, the way that relationships work as human beings is when we're not intentional, we gravitate to people who are like us. And so you form relationships with people who think like you, vote like you, believe like you, look like you. But that is just the natural way we gravitate to relationships. In fact, social media emphasizes this fact. Social media is built around algorithms so that when you like something, they are going to show you more of what you like. So what slowly happens over time is that you begin to create this echo chamber where you only interact with people who make you happy and people who think like you and vote like you do. And so it creates this silo where you can't see or be challenged by anything. And so the relationships that make you happy form you and reinforce ways of thinking, ways of being, sometimes in good ways, sometimes in poor ways. Again, this, this is not automatically bad. It's just unintentional. And then the third thing would be habits. They would be the daily behaviors that you turn to. And maybe those habits, some of those habits are just habits of consumption, that you are consuming certain media, certain entertainment, you're binging on Netflix. Others of those habits are actually about coping. They become mechanisms to help you escape from reality, ways to escape with pain and or anxiety or fear or to cope with shame or feelings of guilt. And so you turn to certain things to help minimize those. And so all of that then together collectively becomes something that forms us and it produces fruit. And so my suggestion would be if you are experiencing fruit that you don't like, that doesn't match what Paul's describing, it probably has something to do with these things unintentionally forming you and shaping you. Now, there's a better alternative, an alternative that would be um, following Jesus. 
As we intentionally turn to the way of Jesus, what we'll find are three similar things that aren't based on an environment that are actually based on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so instead of an environment which can change, you have the Holy Spirit. And so circumstances which can be good or bad, you could be, in this intentional way of spiritual formation, you could have a a global pandemic, you could be losing a job, you could be grieving, yet the power of the Holy Spirit continues to do what the Holy Spirit promises to do. And then instead of unintentionally just consuming anything, we are intentional about being formed by the teachings of Jesus. Reading, maybe that's reading through the Gospels. Maybe that's listening to a sermon. Maybe that's being in church in person or online. It could be a podcast you're listening to. It could be reading through the entire Scripture. It could be meditating on a small portion of Scripture. But what happens is when we do these things, they also do something to us. And so are we being formed by the teachings of Jesus? And then what we'll find, instead of unintentional relationships, we can find intentional community. Community in the church isn't about people who look like you do. Now, it it certainly, there is a shared being united by Christ, but when we are intentional about community, the goal isn't actually to make you happy, it's to make you better. Now, hopefully there are people you actually enjoy too, like that's a plus, but ultimately there are people who make you better. They are people who make you a better spouse a better parent, a better follower of Jesus who challenge you, who push you, who are willing to say things even though they know it might not make you happy, they know it makes you better. And so intentional community helps form you into the image of Jesus. And sometimes this intentional community even looks for people who don't look like you so it can help you grow in your love for other people. And then lastly, instead of the habits that are unintentional, you have intentional practices. And the intentional practices would be looking to the life of Jesus and finding in Jesus things to practice and try out. And so we see Jesus withdraw to a lonely place. And so imitating Jesus means practicing being silent and still before Jesus. We see Jesus fasting for 40 days. And so maybe for some of you, right, you try fasting. You try giving up something in order to listen and experience Jesus. Jesus practices Sabbath. And so you see Jesus setting aside one 24-hour period in order to be with the Father and be reminded of the gifts. You find Jesus meditating and memorizing Scripture, living a life of simplicity. And so the practices would be, what are intentional ways that I can form my life imitating the way of Jesus? Because I believe that in doing so, those things will also do something to me. And so again, it's not about trying harder or doing more. It's about finding the ways to be with Jesus. And so what could you change to be more intentional about being with Jesus? Is it the teachings you listen to? Is it the things that you hear and read? Is it the community that surrounds you and the people who are in your life? Is it the practices, the habits you have developed? Because all of these, Jesus says, help you become more and more like Jesus. And so by being with Jesus, by being intentional about our time with Jesus, it will produce fruit. And so I want to close with prayer for us and take some time to confess before God and we'll prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who loves us, that you invite us to follow you and to trust you. And Jesus, so often when we look at our life If we are evaluating the fruit, I think for all of us, we'd say we fall so short. 
And so, Jesus, I just pray in this moment that you would bring to mind areas where we've fallen short, where we don't live the way that you want us to live, where we haven't been kind, where we haven't been patient, where we haven't been living with joy. Bring those to mind and hear us now as we confess those to you. promise of Jesus is that where you don't see good fruit, he forgives and he heals and he makes you new. The promise of Jesus for each and every one of you is that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.